Political Politics, powered by Gannett, the nation's biggest newspaper company. I'm John Kennedy, coming to you from Gannett's Florida Capitol Bureau in Tallahassee, and I'm joined this week by Antonio Fins, the political editor of the Palm Beach Post. Hello, Antonio. Hey, John. How are you doing? I'm doing good. And the only thing better than having one Palm Beach Post reporter on the air is, well, have two. And joining us this week is Christine Stapleton, another longtime star of the Post. Welcome, Christine, and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, you know, former President Trump is now long gone from the White House, and he's banned on social media platforms. But for the chosen few, Mar-a-Lago is becoming a favorite political stop. We'll uh, discuss that and uh, another rollicking week in the Florida legislature and how, while the Sunshine State is not on President Biden's sales tour as he promotes his $1.9 trillion economic stimulus package. National Democrats are trying to turn Florida's two Republican U.S. senators into roadkill on the tour. For you guessed it, they voted against the relief plan. But first, you know that music. That means it's time for us to pick some numbers that figure big in Florida politics this week. Antonio, did you come in here with a number? Yes, John, I do. I'm going with 5.3 this week. We, We love our decimal places on Inside Florida Politics. And, well, you uh, started the trend, John. You started that trend. That's true. I, I do go for decimals a lot. And Christine, do you have a number for us? Yes, I am going with number five. Five and five point three. Well, I'm weighing in with a seventeen. We'll have the uh, the big reveal on those numbers later in the show. Well, you know, you know, spring of course means spring break in Florida, and uh, it seems like Republicans are running a little wild. No, it's not the T-shirt contest that is attracting them to Palm Beach, but rather it's Donald Trump and the prospect of getting his blessing when it comes to an endorsement or uh, help in fundraising. Uh, But believe it or not, it does still seem to be all about Trump. Christine, you've written a lot about what's going on uh, in the greater uh, Mar-a-Lago world. Uh, Fill us in on what you're seeing. Sure, sure. Um, You know, when Trump came down here, uh, there were questions about whether or not Mar-a-Lago would become a mecca um, of the Republican Party or whether he would just be kind of set aside and then here's a former president living in Palm Beach. But it has turned into a mecca. And we have seen um, already four uh, candidates have been here for fundraisers. We've got uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders was here last weekend. She's running for Arkansas governor. Mike Lee, Christy Nome, and Max Miller. Now, Christy Nome has not announced yet, but she's believed to either uh, be running again for governor or even perhaps a presidential bid or be a vice president. We are seeing these fundraisers here, and they're terribly expensive. It's usually about $10,600 for a couple. And apparently they're they're doing quite well. These are just the fundraisers, but we've also had other Republicans just making the uh, the trek down here to kind of um, you know kiss the ring of uh, of Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, and and the the RNC, the Republican National Committee, is uh, planning a big event there in April, I believe, as well. The, the thing about that event that's kind of interesting, it's here every year, but it is not at Mar-a-Lago. It's usually held at a local hotel on the island. This year, Trump has agreed to speak at the event, but the speaking gig is a dinner. It's the uh, the big event of the, the retreat, and it's going to be at Mar-a-Lago. And that means that, of course, Mar-a-Lago will, uh, will be raking in some money from that event for uh, hosting the dinner at the President's Club. 
And that was seen as sort of a peace offering from the Republican National Committee after Trump slapped back at them, urging them not to use his name in fundraising events. So there's yes. a little bit of a back and forth between those uh, two parties right now. Now, now uh, Christine, though, you also uh, have written some about th- there's some public records watchdogs that have uh, raised concerns about a potential Trump presidential library. Uh, w- what's going on with that? Well, as part of uh, Sunshine Week this week, we uh, we heard from a panel um, of archivists and public records experts, and they are concerned that a Trump library might be used to spread disinformation, that the president might kind of stock it with uh, a lot of uh, false uh, documents or, or you know, uh, kind of his version of history. And so there actually are people saying that Trump doesn't deserve a presidential library. Now, presidential libraries are built with private donations, not government money. Um, so there's there are people saying he, he how can you tell a private uh, foundation that it can't you know build a presidential library? So, you know, there are concerns about that. We don't have a, a venue yet for a presidential library or a, a foundation or group that has been founded to actually raise the money for that. Um, there's also questions about whether or not he violated the Presidential Records Act. Um, there were some indications a couple of years ago that he was actually tearing up uh, records and reports and newspaper articles that he didn't like and that staffers were, were actually tasked with uh, the Humpty Dumpty task of taping them all back together. So it'll be interesting to see how that progresses. That's amazing. So, so there, there's some concern that the presidential library is going to be spelled L-I-E library. Is that it? <laughs> I didn't thought of it that way, John, but uh, there are people out there who uh, believe that. Yes. Wow, that's amazing. So Mar-a-Lago is not exactly a Lollapalooza for uh, for Republicans right now. It's no festival, but it's uh, really rather a place where the Republican Party's awkward relationship with Trump is uh, really on full display, it seems. Yes, but, um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, the, the new occupant of the White House, President Biden and members of his administration are on a red state, blue state tour uh, promoting the benefits of the one point nine trillion dollar stimulus package he got through Congress. Uh, this week he was in Pennsylvania. Uh, Vice President Kamala Harris is in uh, New Hampshire and there's plenty more state visits expected in coming weeks. Uh, so far, there's no uh, Florida on the itinerary, but uh, Antonio, you wrote about a couple of billboards that have gone up in Miami and Tampa aimed at Florida Senators Marco Rubio and Rick Scott. What's behind the billboards? Well, John, you know, the billboards are part of this effort by the Democratic National Committee to remind voters in Florida that both Rubio and Scott voted against the aid package, as did new Congresswoman Maria Vida Salazar down in Miami. And that's one of why one of the billboards has been located down in Miami. Rubio, of course, is up for re-election next year, so don't be surprised if you see more efforts to specifically put a bullseye on him, uh, especially as economists say that they believe that this uh, rescue plan is going to be very popular in Florida, particularly given that the state economy still is is, is having some issues, and you know, particularly when it comes to tourism, it has not been not bounced back, and it doesn't look like that big segment of the you know, uh, of the uh, of the economy is going to come back anytime soon. Now, um, you know, economists, like I said, they, they think that this legislation would be very popular. It's a one point nine trillion dollar plan, like you said, and includes 17 billion dollars for Florida. Um, you know, so clearly you know, the fourteen hundred dollar checks 
Economists say will come in handy. And, and bank rate economist uh, Mark Hamrick told me that so will the expansion of the child tax credit. He pointed out that children have been especially vulnerable for financial hardship. And by the way, even business groups in Florida before the pandemic agreed that childhood poverty in this state was an issue. Back in 2019, the Florida Chamber of Commerce, citing 2017 census data, uh, calculated that one fifth of the children here in Palm Beach County live in poverty. So, you know, this is an issue that um, is going to resonate. Now, both Ruby and Scott fired back. They just didn't take this criticism lying down, obviously. So they fired back against their, the criticism from the DNC billboards and, and, and Democrats in general. And Scott tweeted that in the past year, uh, I'm sorry, the past week, average gas prices in Florida have gone up by almost 10 cents a gallon. And he said that makes it life more expensive for hardworking Floridians. And he also said called on Biden to explain how he's going to keep gasoline and other expenses low for American families while we're still recovering from the COVID-19 pandemic. Rubio tweeted that we could have had the $1,400 checks and increased the child tax credit without sending stimulus checks to quote unquote prisoners and illegal immigrants, as well as spending another 86 billion, he said, on unrelated quote unquote unrelated pension bailouts and to use your tax dollars to fund Planned Parenthood and abortion. So we're going into the uh, political weeds on this one. Now, pollster Monica Escaladas down at uh, Florida Atlantic University told her told me that that while the addition of these items does open up criticism of the plan, and by that she means you know these these parts of the legislation that really don't seem completely directly tied to the pandemic, she still says that this legislation is going to be popular, you know, among. Uh, people here, but particularly those that are being helped. And she said that's because it's really being targeted directly to help individuals. If you remember back in 2009 and 2008, remember the TARP to get us out of the Great Recession with sure. the, the, so the relief bill that went, but that was seen as a bailout of big businesses while most people, grassroots people on Main Street got left you know, holding the bag and basically defend for themselves in the foreclosure crisis. So as Galata says that this is not the situation this time, it you're giving money directly to people. And then uh, uh, Hamrick at Bankrate also told me that be careful even of dismissing like Rubio was doing, be careful dismissing those items in the bill that may not seem totally connected to the economic fallout from the pandemic. He said the pandemic, the financial downturn have highlighted the lack of a social safety net that we have in our country. And he, he noted the quote unquote, the heartbreaking and humbling scenes of desperate people in long lines of cars looking for help at food bank giveaways across America. And even in Florida and even Palm Beach County, we've seen plenty of those. Uh, you know, Hamrick said, you know, we should be a better country than that. You know, they point out that with all the resources and richness that we have in America, that we have people lining up in cars for food because they have nowhere else to turn is, is a site that is, people are, is going to resonate with a lot of people. So this is important because this is where the political tug of war will play out on this legislation, not so much in the checks and small business assistance, but rather in these other ancillary issues. And the challenge for Rubio and Scott is that if this is how they're going to fight the, the legislation or they're going to try to rebuff the criticism, is that it's going to have to take some explaining to tease out those positions 
And as they say in politics, if you're explaining, you ain't winning. Yeah, it does seem pretty clear that the voters themselves have an understanding of the, uh, the the depth of this pandemic and just how you know wide ranging it's been across the economy and social structure, culture, everything else. But you know, you know, the other thing politically, I wonder, you know, if if Biden now, you know, he's trying to sell this uh, idea across many states. But if Biden doesn't personally appear in Florida on the stimulus tour, uh, you know, should we read anything into this? Um, are, you know, are Democrats saying that this state is too tough to recapture after it went so solidly for Trump last fall? Well, you know, if the administration, if Biden or the vice president and others don't make, you know, uh, a stand here, that, that certainly would be a telltale sign that Democrats might see Florida in 2022 as a bridge too far. But I am hearing the opposite. All my sources are telling me that there is no way Democrats will yield Florida without a fight. Michael Binder, a poster at the University of Florida, said he would be absolutely stunned if the White House doesn't make a strong push to sell the relief bill in Florida ahead of next year's critical elections, especially with a coveted U.S. Senate seat up for grabs and, and, of course, the governor's mansion also on the ballot. Now, that Biden did lose Florida by, an, quote, unquote, an enormous margin. I mean, 3.4 percent is in Florida. That's equivalent of a, of a major landslide. Mm-hmm. But, but Biden said that's kind of irrelevant, especially after Democrats came so close to winning you know, keeping that Senate seat back in 2018, they only lost it by 10,000 votes and coming close to winning the governor's mansion here again in 2018 by this time by 33,000 votes. Uh, plus, Binder pointed out, by the way, Trump's name is not on the ballot. And what we saw in 2018 is when his name was not on the ballot, Democrats scored major victories across the country. So as Binder said, look, I can't imagine they would give up on Florida in 2022. In fact, he said, look, if you think Florida's hard, look at Ohio. You know, Ohio is even tougher. It's even much more difficult for Democrats. And yet they're going to make a big push in Ohio. So he says he fully envisions a, a big camp, big campaigns here, a lot of money from the national parties. You know, he said the whole nine yards. And remember, too, as I said, um, that FAU pollster uh, Monica Scalera said Floridians will work and run the legislation. Well, she also cited a poll that FAU just released this month showing that only 36 percent of respondents were optimistic about the country's economic fortunes in the next year, and 28% were pessimistic. And 31% said they expected it would take until later this year or well into 2022, if not longer, for their personal and household finances to recover. So bottom line, Escalera said, if Floridians will welcome the American Rescue Plan's targeted assistance, it'll prove popular in the state. So it would seem a huge mistake, John, if, if Biden and the administration didn't come to Florida to tout the stimulus plan here with an eye toward 2022. Yeah, there, there's clearly a divide over that stimulus money among Republicans. While, you know, we you mentioned Scott wants to to send its check back to the federal government. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, as uh, the guy that's going to be on the ballot next year, uh, he, he's already laid out plans to spend $4.1 billion of the roughly $10 billion uh, state government alone is expected to be getting. Uh, he'd use it to give first responders $1,000 checks. Uh, he'd steer millions to Florida seaports. Uh, uh, he'd rebuild that failed online unemployment system, Connect, uh, that was such a, a problem for so many people that were trying to file for unemployment benefits last year. Uh, he doubled the size of Visit Florida to attract more t- tourists uh, while he thinks the pandemic is easing. And he'd pay for a, a wide range of these uh, so-called shovel-ready work road and construction projects that uh, all intended to try to get the economy going. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. It, it, 
DeSantis, who was a member of the Freedom Caucus during his time in Congress, which, you know, they, they advocate for uh, limited government and, you know, less Washington spending, basically. Uh, he, he is on the receiving end now of all this largesse from the federal government, the Democratic uh, Congress, and he's going to be able to spend it. Um, one thing that he's talking about doing, too, is he wants to double the $1 billion that he planned for his resilient Florida program that uh, he's pushing through the legislature and which will help cities and counties pay for the, the damage caused by climate change. This is something that has generally been hailed by environmentalists, which, you know, normally we think of as sort of a democratic constituency in a way. So it, all this spending, big spending by the Republican governor could be stuff that, you know, helps him when it comes to uh, his reelection plans next year. Now, you know, we didn't hear the gov Republican governor saying, you know, hey, thanks, Joe Biden and the Democratic-led Congress. But uh, DeSantis and uh, Senate President Wilton Simpson uh, earlier said that they'd support using stimulus money to give businesses a big tax break, covering uh, a $713 million increase in unemployment compensation that uh, is due over the next two months for most businesses in Florida. But uh, that plan has changed. And uh, this week, another approach is moving forward where legislation that expands the state's ability to collect sales tax from online purchases will be uh, used to cover that unemployment tax increase. That seemed like maybe an easier way for uh, House Republicans to support this online sales tax expansion, which some say it looks like a tax increase to them. Um, this way they can say it's only being used to reduce other taxes and they can take credit for it rather than say it was the Biden administration who helped Florida businesses avoid a $713 million tax hike. So there's, you know, different layers of political uh, uh, thought going into some of these policy decisions as well. So, you know, all told, though, the, the, the stimulus has plenty of fans among Florida Republicans, at least among those who get to spend the money in state and local government. But it's also amounting to, you know, as, as you pointed out, Antonio, it's another rift between Rick Scott and Ron DeSantis, something that we're seeing quite a few examples of these days. Uh, you know, remember these two Republicans may be rivals for the Republican presidential nomination in three years, along with Marco Rubio, who uh, certainly may not be ready to uh, well, well he, he, he hasn't said too much about his presidential hopes right now, but it would seem clear that he'd probably be ready to give it another shot, despite a poor performance in 2016 when he when he ran into that Donald Trump buzzsaw. But hey, wait, I'm I'm hearing the return of that surf music, which means it's time for us to get back to those numbers and tell you what that was all about. Antonio, you had a 5.3. Are you ready to tell us what that was? Yeah, John, that is 5.3%. Uh, the unemployment rate reported this week in Florida, and that is good news for Governor Ron DeSantis. Florida's unemployment rate has dropped precipitously, precipitously in the last 10 months. A jobless rate spiked, if you recall, at 14.5% in May of last year after 6.6 .6 million people filed for unemployment assistance the month before as the Florida economy shut down for the pandemic. So the drop in the unemployment rate the governor can claim is a result of his push since last summer to reopen the economy. The governor has been ahead of the curve in allowing bars and restaurants and theaters to open, and he has unabashedly stated that opening the economy is his top goal. Now, critics will say, and correctly, that that comes at the cost of public health to a certain extent. Florida is still reporting thousands of cases each day, and there are serious concerns about 
fast spreading virus variations and variants and mutants and whatever you want to call them. Uh, in addition, we are seeing scenes of spring breakers partying on Florida beaches, raising legitimate worries of more super spreader events that will spike the infection rate. Uh, critics will also point out the governor's resistance to face coverings and now preventing local governments to enforce mask wearing with fines also contributes to poor public health practices and that could bolster Florida's or, or actually undermine Florida's economic recovery if you see, you know, uh, if we see more spikes and more infections. You know, that's especially important because getting from 5.3%, the number released this week, to 2.8%, the historic low Florida reported right before the pandemic in early 2020, this will require getting Florida's mass market tourism economy going. And for that to happen, the state and the country have to get past the pandemic. That's going to be hard as long as we're posting thousands of new cases in Florida and tens of, tens of thousands of new cases across the country. And if these variants spread and, and, and are made possible, the spread of the, of the variants is made possible by recklessness that continues to dock Florida and other parts of the country. But for now, expect the governor to, governor to take a victory lap as Florida's unemployment rate has fallen nine percentage points in the last year. And it did so before that major stimulus plan passed by Democrats in Congress and signed by Joe Biden, the one that we've just been talking about, uh, that the rate dropped before uh, that legislation was passed and put into effect. So as we've talked about before, the battle in 2022 is likely to be won by which party can claim they pulled the economy out of the pandemic field collapse. And this week's unemployment number Goes into and, and DeSantis is still squawking about how the uh, the lower unemployment in Florida has cost Florida some of the uh, stimulus money that other states are getting because they have higher unemployment rates. So it, from his vantage point, Florida is being punished for having a better economy. Christine, you came in with a five. What's five? All righty. Five is the number of living former presidents, uh, Obama, Clinton. Carter, Bush, Trump, and four is the number of those who are participating in a nationwide public service announcement to get people vaccinated. Donald Trump is the only one who has not participated in the uh, public service announcement or uh, been shown getting his vaccine, whereas some of these other presidents have actually allowed themselves to be, you know, uh, seen publicly getting the vaccine. And there's been some controversy over the last uh, few days about whether or not Donald Trump should participate in this because he is being given credit for getting the vaccine to market as quickly as possible with Operation Warp Speed. So people are uh, asking, why isn't Trump out there pushing the vaccine that he successfully got to you know, the market into the public as quickly as possible. Others are saying, look, he did what he, he was supposed to do. He did it well, and he's not obligated to go out there and push the vaccine. So, uh, you know, there's two sides to that story, and it'll be interesting to see as it goes forward if President, uh, President Trump, uh, former President Trump, does jump in and uh, take some uh, some yeah, I, I guess he did uh, speak to Fox News on Tuesday of this week, and he just mentioned uh, that he would recommend it and recommend mm -hmm. it to a lot of people that don't want to get it. But then uh, he also uh, cited how, you know, we have our freedoms and we have to live by that. And I agree with that also. So uh, it was a little bit of a, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. half endorsement, half endorsement, maybe.
Right. And and there were two recent polls that showed that the uh, the group of people who, who are most likely to say they will not get vaccinated are Republicans and Trump supporters. So that is why there is a push to get uh, the president, uh, former President Trump out there and, you know, get these ask for people to get vaccinated because, you know, with his blessing uh, publicly, they um, there might be uh, the ability to get millions more people. Sure. Um, Despite vaccinated. all the trouble that so many, uh, especially seniors in the state, have been having trying to navigate the online system and trying to uh, get vaccines. There's there's a, there's a large cohort of Trump people, I guess, that aren't even bothering right now. So, yeah, yes, wild. that's what we're hearing. Yes, yeah. and it is difficult. I've been trying to get online and sign up myself for that. So. Not easy. Well, my number is 17, and we're recording this podcast on March 17th, St. Patrick's Day. And for us Kennedys who have deep roots in Ireland, it's always a big day. A year ago, the coronavirus pandemic was beginning to ravage the state and nation, and Governor Ron DeSantis was still puzzling about whether or not to close bars and restaurants statewide, something he, he eventually did for the month of April, but that was it. Uh, as w- we well know now, uh, DeSantis is touting his insistence on having kept the state open, and he's soaking in praise and touting his own success in Florida for having a better economy than many states uh, that did stricter lockdowns. Um, of course, the LA Times recently did a review of the two states, pointing out that Florida's death rate is indeed worse than that of California's for all of uh, DeSantis' insistence that, that he got it right. But one thing he did say this time last year, something that still resonates, at least with me on St. Patrick's Day, if you fire up a Guinness in your own house, I have no problem with that. You're going to get no argument from me, DeSantis said. And with those words of advice, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank our producer extraordinaire, Thomas Gordy, who put this show together for us. And thank you all to our listeners for joining us this week. Stay safe, Florida.